everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of In With The Old. As always, we're a podcast focused on dispelling myths, building appreciation for God's Word, and helping us all rediscover the Old Testament for the life of faith. Today's episode is a fascinating one as we begin looking at the myth that the Old Testament is, for lack of a better term, heavenly nationalistic, only focused on the people of Israel and kind of excluding other people from God's plans and purposes. This, I think, is an interesting topic that may hit close to home for some of us, and I'm really excited to get into it with my co-host, Dr. Tim. Dr. Tim, how are you doing today? Dr. Brian, I am doing well, and uh, I'm excited to talk about this topic, uh, really because I think this is one of those kind of get out of jail free cards that some Christians use. And, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, if we look at the Old Testament as only a document about Israel or for Israel, uh, and in defining that in terms of ethnic Israel, the people who lived in the time the Old Testament was written, then we can really afford to ignore it right? It wasn't written to us. It wasn't written for us. It doesn't focus on us. Uh, but we're going to talk about how that really is a mistake and a myth. Mm. The Old Testament, uh, while the focus is primarily on Israel, really the Old Testament is a book about how Israel was used by God to reach the nations, ultimately culminating in Christ. So I'm passionate about this. I hope this is helpful to our listeners, and I hope it really does uh, prompt us and spur us on to see the Old Testament as a book that still applies to us today. So I'm, I could not be more excited, Brian. Yeah. And maybe by way of apology to listeners, because if you go, wait, this feels like they're maybe talking about something I struggle with. Hopefully this will be helpful, but I also want to start off by saying you're not alone. A good mm -hmm. way to walk in on this issue is this is an issue we see not just with those of us that come far after the time of the Bible. We see this problem and this view even developing within the Bible, which is part mm -hmm. of the reason why we can highlight it as a myth because it's corrected within Scripture. But, mm -hmm. Tim, when I think of the Old Testament narrative, uh, I think of Jeremiah's time. And mm -hmm. some of the, the people and the prophets he sent against, uh, they are very much like, oh, no, it's about the temple. It's about us. And as long as these things are standing, we're mm -hmm. good. We're the best. We don't have to worry about things. Jeremiah, we talked about prophets last time, and Jeremiah is kind of a reluctant prophet, right? Mm -hmm. But he's sent to say, no, you're trusting in the wrong things. You're not understanding God's plans and purposes. Mm -hmm. I think of intertestamental times. So if mm -hmm. you're a reader of the uh, Deuterocanonical texts, uh, we know that you have this kind of nationalistic movement, the zealots, that rise up to try to find uh, Jewish independence in the first century and in that intertestamental time. And these mm -hmm. are individuals who are heavily nationalistic, that think God only cares about this one people. And, and mm -hmm. Jesus kind of confounds them, right? Because they're looking for Jesus to be this nationalistic leader, kind of like uh, Judas Maccabeus and Jesus says, no, that's not the, <laughs> my kingdom is not of this world and, and dispel some of those myths. So if this is a topic you go, yeah, this is maybe something I struggle with. You're not alone. Anyway, mm -hmm. those are some uh, stories that come to my mind, Tim is maybe a way to walk us in. Are there any other examples of this kind of viewpoint being dealt with in scripture? And if not, let's transition to how do we rightly view the old Testament? Yeah, I, I think it comes back to the principle of Israel being a chosen nation uh, mm -hmm. and the understanding, or in the case of many of the Jewish people, a misunderstanding of what that meant. Uh, Brian, when I teach the Old Testament, we 
often refer to Israel as the chosen people or Israelites as the chosen people. And right. anytime we use that language, I always ask the students, we should ask the question, chosen for what? What does it mean Ooh, to be like chosen? That. Chosen for what purpose? Because that answer then helps us to understand how Israel relates to other nations. And of course, that helps us mm. who are maybe not ethnic Jews, as I am not. That helps us to understand how a story that's not about us or doesn't focus on our lineage or history still applies to us. So I like that idea of asking chosen for what purpose, uh, because it's not chosen for no purpose and they're not chosen only for themselves. That's an excellent point. I like that idea because we don't want to denigrate God's choosing of Israel. He's called, or rather they're called a chosen people, yes. uh, right? a royal priesthood. We have this kind of highlighting of them and we don't want to denigrate that in the least, but we mm -hmm. do want to make sure we're not overstating it. And that's a fantastic question, Tim. Chosen for what? Mm -hmm. That's going to be kind of our key listeners as we move into how does the Old Testament deal with other nations? And I think mm -hmm. the best way to put it is by choosing Israel, God is not rejecting other people, but instead mm -hmm. is picking this nation to move his redemptive plan forward. And we can get this from several passages. Let me start with one, and then Tim, I'll throw it over to you for maybe some others. But yeah. if you go back to the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, this is obviously an important part of scripture because it sets the table for so much of the story going forward, right? It introduces us to who God is, some of his initial characteristics. It introduces us to who people are. And here's the key point. In the image of God, he created them, right? Male and female, he created them. Uh, it doesn't say just this one people he's created. It doesn't mm. tie, right, just a specific ethnicity to being more chosen or more holy, but rather humanity en masse is created in the image and likeness of God. This sets them apart as being uniquely conferred with gifts from God and to be in relationship with God. And this is a, a key point, listeners. God's intents and plans and purposes in the creation story obviously get altered to some degree in the fall, right? It's complicated. But are they changed? Does God's desire go like, oh, well, shoot, I created all people to be in relationship with me, but gum, it didn't work well. <laughs> so now let me only pick a few people to love. Mm. No, for God so loved the world, right? John kind of, and John's great at pulling together the Old Testament into the story of Jesus. He highlights this idea of, right, God's plans did not change. That mm. desire for relationship with humanity en masse does not alter. So if we see it at the beginning of the story, we see it at the end of the story in the book of Revelation, where we have people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation streaming to the throne. We can say from first to last, God's plans have always been for all people. Mm. Now, the course of history makes that somewhat unique, that he has to have a chosen people to accomplish this plans. But we need to start at the beginning by saying God does desire relationship with all people at the very beginning of the Old Testament. Yeah, I, I love the way that you situated that, Brian, and oriented us to Genesis 1. And, and it reminds me, as we think of Genesis 1 and then bleeding into Genesis 1 through 11, we see this story that is really a story at the cosmic scale, uh, all the way mm -hmm. from perfect creation to Adam and Eve, uh, Cain and Abel, and then their descendants, ultimately then to Noah, his descendants. And then we get to the table of nations, right? As we come to Genesis 10 and then the Tower of Babel, <laughs> Uh, in Genesis 11 and all the way on to Abraham in Genesis 12. 
there's, there is this effect of God creating the world, God loving the peoples of the world, and God even establishing the nations of the world. Uh, but then by the time you get to Abram, who later, of course, is going to become Abraham, when he comes on the scene, he comes as a, a pagan in one sense, right? I mean, he comes from mm -hmm. a land of pagans, uh, and yet God calls him, and in that very first call, in other words, as soon as the story begins to focus on Abraham and his descendants, God makes this promise to Abraham, and he says this, and I'm reading here from Genesis 12, 3. He says, I will bless those who bless you. Anyone who curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. In other words, as soon as we see Abram, it's this definitive statement of all nations, all peoples are ultimately going to be blessed through you. In other words, there is a vocation. There's a calling of Abraham, not just as someone who singularly is beloved by God, but as someone who's going to be used by God to show and demonstrate his love to the world. Um, and so the story of Israel is the story of Israel as a tool in God's hands, as a vehicle by which he is going to bless the nations. And that's what we see again in Genesis 1 through 11. God creates the nations. God loves the nations. And then now the question is become going to become how he does that. And he tells us, I'm going to do it through Abram and his descendants. Uh, and we see that develop. Uh, throughout the Old Testament. As you mentioned, Brian, Exodus 19, Israel, as it's established as a nation, is going to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, God's own special people. And in uh, that kingdom of priests language is the language of not only Israel being a national entity, but Israel being a nation that itself functions as a priest. And what does a priest do? A priest mediates between God and man. In other words, I, I think of that text in Exodus 19 uh, of Israel as really a missionary nation, as a nation called by God as priests on a mission to show the world what it's like to live under the lordship of Yahweh. Um, so as we look at those core texts that even define who Israel is, those texts speak of the calling of Israel as a vehicle by which the blessings of God are going to come to the world. Uh, so those are a couple of texts that, to me, are key, Brian. And then, of course, we have uh, in the Psalms and in the prophets, uh, they pick up on that language, right? They pick up on that idea. So, Brian, maybe you want to discuss a couple of those passages. Yeah, and before I jump into the the Psalms, I, I want to circle back to that point you just made, Tim, because I, I don't think yeah. we should overstate the significance of that. Mm -hmm. Priests don't serve just for their own pleasure, just mm -hmm. for their own benefit, right? Priests are these mediators of the presence of God. And that's what the Levites do for the nation of Israel. But Israel as a whole people are called a kingdom of priests. Mm -hmm. That should tell us if we're paying attention to the context, right? Who are they being priests for? Mm -hmm. Well, the world, right? They're, I, I like how you said, they're supposed to be this kingdom of missionaries. God mm -hmm. has called them to be these mediators showing here's what it looks like to live in right relationship with him. Mm -hmm. He places them too geographically at a very interesting point. The <laughs> land of Canaan is the land of trade routes. It's how mm -hmm. you connect it between the ancient superpowers in Egypt and then Mesopotamia, right? Mm -hmm. And eventually this will develop to a bit of the, to the north and then the northeast with uh, the Persians and the Greeks. But trade routes still come through there. And so if you think of them in a missionary sense, they are, A, at a place where they can travel to other places. But maybe more importantly, they're at a place where the nations will pass through them and observe mm -hmm. them and see them. And so you can see being set up this beautiful intention for 
what they're supposed to be. Reality, unfortunately, sets in sometimes. Um, but they're they're set up as this beautiful kingdom of priests, which shows mm-hmm. God God's interest to still reach out to the world. Mm-hmm. Now, as Tim said, we also have some other really interesting passages. And one of the more important ones that I came across uh, actually during my master's work, mm-hmm. uh, I had a, a professor, Dr. John Mead. He still teaches at Phoenix Seminary. Fantastic scholar, especially if you love the Septuagint or uh, textual criticism. Um, but he made a big point of looking at Psalm 87. And this is one of the Psalms mm-hmm. of the sons of Korah. And uh, listeners, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just to set it up. In Israel's history, there are some what we can call traditional enemies, right? If there's going to be a villain of the story, who are the more common people? (laughs) Babylon, Tyre, Cush. um, These are used both in a historical sense as actual enemies, but sometimes in a poetic sense as these are the the people, the forces that oppose God. Okay? So just bearing that in mind, I want to read for us verse 4 and following of Psalm 87. The psalm says, I will make a record of those who know me, speaking of God, those who know God, Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Cush, each one was born there. And it will be said of Zion, this one and that one were born in her. The Most High himself will establish her when he registers the peoples. The Lord will record this one was born there. It's this Mm. beautiful vision, right, of eternity, of God establishing Zion, his holy city, of this view of the age to come. And the psalmist is saying, look, all these foreign peoples, all these enemies, God is redeeming, God is pulling back. And eventually he'll say, they know me. This one was born here. That would be, we sometimes use the term countercultural, right, Tim, about Christian faith, Christian (laughs) message. If you want to talk about ancient counterculture, this is counterculture for Jewish thought and an ancient yeah. Eastern thought. Why would you care about these foreign nations? Why would you say that they're being brought back? Mm. It's because God's desire is for people. And mm. his. Uh, we see that uh, most clearly here. I love Psalm 87. You've got plenty of others, right? You've got Isaiah 49, 6, uh, which I will make you a light for the Gentiles. You've got Isaiah 19, 25, Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, Israel, my inheritance. These are the, we sometimes skip over these or I think some of us, we selectively read and, and miss out that God continually is reminding people that he is the God of humanity and his desire is to bring all these people back into relationship with him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 let's not miss these passages where God is reminding his people then and reminding us now that his love does not have borders. When he calls mm-hmm. his people to serve him, He's calling us to act as ambassadors, not as border agents. We're not here to be going, you belong in, you don't belong in, based on where you come from. But to extend that love, tying it back to the Abrahamic covenant, right? Uh, In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so I think that's just a, a critical component we get here and not miss. Well, Brian, what beautiful texts. And and I love Psalm 87 that you mentioned. I love especially the the Isaiah passage. As I think about that, the Isaiah 49 passage is a passage that describes the suffering servant. So the mm-hmm. same theme that goes on to Isaiah 53. And and even the language in Isaiah 49:6, uh, speaking ultimately of Jesus, right, to come, it says it's too small a thing 
for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Uh, and and I, I come back to that passage often in my mind uh, because it really ties in not only God's purposes, but the glory of God in achieving those purposes. That it, it's too small a thing for our God to be considered the God only of one nation. Uh, and that's what all the other nations had, right? And it, it, it's not that they didn't believe in other gods. Uh, most other nations, really almost all the other nations, believed in many gods. Uh, but the yeah. Israelites said, no, we believe in one God who, guess what, isn't just the God of our nation, just as, isn't the God of our borders or our boundaries or our land. He's actually the creator of the heavens and the earth, right? Uh, he's the one who it's too small a thing for him just to rule one nation, but he rules them all. And Brian, I, I'm interested to, to hear what you think about this, because I think that some of the confusion may come uh, from the idea that the Old Testament often uses the language of nations as kind of uh, a stereotype of the enemies of God, right? Mm -hmm. have, a pejorative. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like nations can be pejorative. Uh, and so therefore, we tend to think uh, of, of the Old Testament as so focused on Israel that it just treats everyone else almost, you know, to be a little bit crude, like trash, you know, like Israel is mm -hmm. great. All of the other nations are less than. Uh, but of course, the problem with that is twofold. First, uh, even in Deuteronomy, God tells the people of Israel, I didn't choose you because you're righteous. I didn't choose you because you're better. Um, I didn't choose you because you were numerous or there was anything that drew me to you. Uh, but I chose you for my own purposes. And then secondarily, the second reason why that's so mistaken is because of the balance we have in these other passages where God says, Essentially, yes, when nations are acting as my enemies, in other words, when all of these other nations are coming against my people, well, then they've set themselves against me. But we see these other passages that we mentioned, and I love the one you uh, read in Psalm 87, that these people were born in Zion, right? That, mm -hmm. that God's purpose the whole time was to bring those nations back in, at which point we see why it was so destructive for them to work against the purposes of God. Uh, it was essentially, if you came against Israel, you were without knowing, uh, you know, in one sense, um, you know, you, you were destroying God's plan of salvation for yourself, uh, at which point that would be devastating. And so, Brian, I just wonder if, if you have any thoughts on that, the idea of, of the Old Testament using nations in a pejorative way, and sometimes that can really lead us astray uh, or kind of throw us off the scent, if you will, of understanding God's unfolding purposes to save the nations. Yeah, that's a good question, because um, there there is a... If you want to get into the text, Tim, you're you're well aware, right? There's mm -hmm. a textual preference. Israel you likes to refer to itself as an am or people. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. does not like to refer mm -hmm. to itself as a goy or a goyim, which is nation mm -hmm. or nations. Uh, and that terminology actually persists even to today in terms of preference. <laughs> yeah. Much like you started the episode, Tim, when you when you ask there are chosen people, but chosen to do what? I think there's maybe we need to ask us, why is there this preference for people uh, and mm. a disparaging of nation? And mm -hmm. there's there's more work to be done here. So this is a little bit off the cuff, listeners. But mm -hmm. 
there's a nationhood that is established outside of God's directive, outside of God's kingship. And I think part of the disparaging of that is that um, a people of God means we're in covenant with him. We're in relationship with him. That's the Mm -hmm. intended state for humanity to be in. These Goyim, these nations, these foreign nations aren't following after him. They are Mm -hmm. following after other gods or goddesses. They are following Mm -hmm. after other directives. And because of that, we can't lose sight. God's love does not mitigate or get rid of God's justice. God's mm-hmm. righteousness. These mm-hmm. all act in concert. And so the nations are to be set apart as enemies because they are rejecting God's kingship, God's mm-hmm. rulership. They're not in covenant with him. And mm-hmm. so I, I think we use, I don't know, I, I don't want to be too harsh on our modern culture. Mm-hmm. We make a lot of things about issues of nationality um, earlier in the 19th century, right? Nationalism. Was a mm-hmm. was a thing the world dealt with and its its consequences. Um, I, I wonder if we read some of that back into the text and, and mm. misunderstand how permeable these boundaries were. How many mm. stories are there in the Old Testament of quote unquote foreigners, non Israelites, mm-hmm. joining the people of God and not just joining in minor ways, but being used in the lineage of Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. We can just keep listening off. Hey, God uses Rahab, puts her in the line of Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. God uses Ruth, mm-hmm. puts her in the line of Jesus. David is not a pure blood Israelite. I mean, we can yes. even go to that level and go, look, God did not have this highly nationalistic view of how he was using Israel to accomplish his purposes, but he's mm-hmm. using them as these people who are a kingdom of priests, a covenant people that is open, that is inviting. But mm-hmm. if you've rejected that, you have rejected the kingship of God, and there are consequences to doing that. Mm-hmm. So that's my off-the-cuff kind of working through it here. Um, Tim, did that answer your question? Or let me throw yeah. it back to you. Kind of, What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I love that. And, and it, reminds me, uh, it reminds me of the story of the Queen of the South, right, coming to Solomon to hear of his wisdom. Yeah. Um, there's always this sense, even in the Old Testament, if there is someone among the Goyim, right, among the nations who hears of God, who, who sees his glory through his people, and they come and they worship him, God's response to that is universally positive. Um, and, and we see that, for instance, with Ruth, who's often refer, referred to in the book of Ruth as Ruth the Moabite. You know, here is Ruth the Moabite. Oh, yeah, the they Moabite. don't hide her nationality. Yeah. It is front and center. Right. And, and the same thing. If Ruth the Moabite can come into the covenantal love of God, and and we won't chase the rabbit too far, but that's some of the language used in Ruth, right? To come Mm -hmm. under the wings of God, same language used um, in Exodus 19. As Ruth is able to come under the wings of the covenant God of Israel, and as Rahab is able to come in, and, and there are many others as well, we see this really in one sense, this first fruits uh, that that comes to full fruition in the New Testament. Hmm. And Brian, I love what you mentioned. Uh, I think about this often in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is in one sense, uh, the most Jewish of the Gospels in terms of its emphases and other things. But what do you see? You see a bookend in the book of Matthew, where at the beginning, you've got the genealogy of Jesus that includes Gentiles and includes Gentile women. And then Mm -hmm. at the very end of the book of Matthew, what do you have? The great commission that Jesus himself says, 
go unto all nations uh, and preach the gospel. Uh, so even in one sense, the, the fullness of what God was doing uh, comes to life in the ministry of Jesus. And then, of course, through his apostles, as the Gentiles come into the church fully, that's a major background point of the New Testament itself. Uh, but, but to me, I can't help but rejoice in the idea that that wasn't, you know, uh, somehow a sidebar or somehow a, a different thing that the New Testament is doing in the old than the old. It's actually the fulfillment of what the Old Testament says itself God was doing the entire time. Um, so I love I love what you mentioned there, uh, that God truly is using his people to accomplish his eternal purpose, which is to have a redeemed humanity out of the mm -hmm. two one, you know, the Ephesians two language of the dividing wall has been torn down. And what we see is that in the Old Testament, maybe to use an analogy, you know, that uh, if the dividing wall was torn down uh, through Jesus Christ, that there were at least some bricks that crumbled in the Old Testament that showed what God was doing all along. I like that uh, <laughs> visual image that there are some bricks because there are, there, there's little sneak peeks. Yeah. And as we're saying this, listeners, we said it up front, but we want to probably emphasize it here and again. Israel is uniquely chosen to be used by God. And so the mm -hmm. story of the Old Testament is focused on them. So let's not lose sight of that and go, well, God was using all people equally at all time. No, right. he's using the people of Israel. His love, though, is for all people. And so mm -hmm. if that kind of duality can fit in your mind, I, let's not lose sight of that. Israel is uniquely picked and chosen and used by God for these purposes. Yes. Um, but yeah, this is, a, I think, an important thing to kind of wrestle with. It will have some knock-on implications into how we deal with some major theological issues or even kind of just world issues today. That probably mm -hmm. extends beyond what we're going to talk about here. <laughs> but this is part of the reason why we want to bring up some of these topics. They do matter in how we kind of conceive of the plan of God, how we conceive of his word, and how we can treasure it and understand it better. So uh, this was a uh, behind the scenes listeners. This was one of Dr. Tim's episode ideas that I was really <laughs> excited to, to get into because I, I this has been really beneficial for me, Tim, hearing your your passion about this and kind of exploring this topic with you. So yeah. uh, as we kind of wrap this up, maybe give us some take-home thoughts. Where do you see this going or, or what do you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I want to leave the thought with uh, the book of Jonah and then a quote, if I can. Um, yeah. the, the book of Jonah, I think, really encapsulates uh, what God intended Israel to be but also uh, some of the problems that arose as Israel really let their status before God uh, create a barrier. Mm. Um, so Jonah is obviously a prophet of God, commissioned by God to go to Nineveh, uh, but it was because Jonah knew the graciousness of God that he didn't want to go. And of course, our readers know the story of Jonah. I won't rehearse it, but by the end, we see the very last sentence where God basically indicts Jonah for his hardness of heart. Why? Because Jonah wanted to hoard the grace of God instead of extend yeah. it. And he says to Jonah, he says, should I not care about these people who don't know their right hand from their left? In other words, they don't have the same advantages that you have in terms of the law or in terms of my presence or in terms of that personal covenantal relationship. But God doesn't say, oh, because of that, I'm going to blast them. No, he says, because of that, Jonah, I'm going to send you. And so mm -hmm. 
again, I, I, I love how you said it, Brian. We don't want to overtip the scales here and say, oh, well, the nations are featured in the Old Testament. No, that's not true. Uh, the Old Testament is a story of how God used the nation of Israel for a particular purpose. But of course, the tragedy of the Old Testament is, is that rather than being a nation that stands apart from the other nations uh, in terms of its purity and its righteousness and in and, and clinging to that covenantal relationship with God, the Israelite nation, unfortunately, at times looks just like the other nations. Uh, and so uh, there was one scholar who described it like this. Israel was the lifeboat that was sent to save the other nations. But what do you do when the lifeboat sinks itself? At which point, Ooh. then at that point, Jesus is the one who, of course, comes to save us all. Uh, and, and I can't help but think, Brian, that maybe that was part of the point, that, that even a people who had every advantage uh, of a relationship with God, sin was so pervasive that God had to come eventually and show that he alone could do what no individual could do, what no nation could do. Even given the greatest possible advantages, there are some things that only God can do. Um, and so, Brian, I'll, I'll read this quote and then let you close it out. This quote is from uh, Christopher Wright, an Old Testament scholar in a book he wrote called The Mission of God. Here's how he described it. We pay no compliments to the New Testament and the new and urgent mandate of evangelistic mission it entrusts to us in the light of Christ by relegating the Old Testament and the foundation for mission that it had already laid and that Jesus emphatically endorsed. Whole Christian mission is built on the whole Christian Bible. And that's the end of the quote. In other words, even the Old Testament has this missionary impulse that moves through it. And of course, we see that come to a climax and a crescendo in the New Testament. But it's so important, listeners, that this is my final word. It's so important for us to see that the same mission of God in the Old Testament is the same mission of God in the New. And it's ultimately that all may know that all may know him and enter into that covenant relationship with him, ultimately through Christ. Uh, but Israel was a vehicle and a means to that end. Very well put, Tim. So thank you for leaving us with that. Thank you for that quote from Christopher Wright. Cause I, that's, I think the key thing where we're both trying to drive for whole Christian missions is built on the whole Christian Bible. This is not yes. something new that just comes out in the new Testament, but uh, even in the story of Jonah, Jonah knows God will forgive them. That's part of the reason why he runs away. And so uh, we hope this has been helpful in kind of peeling back maybe some of these mistakes or this myth that we have about the Old Testament um, that we hope you can see God's love and care for people throughout the Old Testament leading up and culminating in the person of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Dr. Tim, for your wisdom and your insight on this episode. And listeners, next time we have a fun episode in store for you. A little bit nerdy, a little bit geeky, but we're going to be looking at Mosaic authorship and the Pentateuch and how we believe it is a mistake to think that Moses is the only person who wrote the Pentateuch. If that intrigues you, you'll have to tune in next week. And until then, you know what to do. Stay cool and stay old.